0: Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Welcome to the rich and the poor, the young and the old. This is for you. It's not just a talk show. We're here to take action. You're going to walk this talk and talk and walk. You're going to walk this talk and talk and walk.
1: You're going to walk this talk and talk. Walk the talk show.
0: Welcome. Today go. is about crisis correction, the pain, the shame, and the blame that goes behind it. It's a reality. How do you deal with it, and how do you move on? That's what we're talking about today. Yeah. And uh, I I start with uh, an introduction that is one of the greatest honors of my life, and that's to introduce Renee. <laughs> Well, really, really, Renee, I, I, I try, and I, and I can't fathom the weight of your journey.
2: I can't believe that I lived this long and lived through all these things.
0: I, well, I can't either. So I'm glad I'm not alone, because, you know, I think of you in this way. I think hate is your nemesis, and, and Renee, you are a superhero.
3: Oh no. And,
0: Yes, and, and I don't know if you've ever dreamed as a little girl to be one, but I'm here to tell you you have arrived. You have, you have reached superhero status.
2: <laughs> I don't
0: <laughs> Clara, uh, I've come to admire your strength and your will to overcome such deep pain. Crisis isn't new to you by any means, and how you've addressed it, and it, it's a lesson on the importance of introspection vulnerability and just releasing your secrets to free the pain it's it's just a remarkable story that we're gonna have to talk about a little bit
3: thank you I'm, J- I'm, bad you didn't see our play
0: i uh, well maybe i have
3: oh maybe, well you maybe have. you have my bad
0: you're you're referencing for for the audience she's referencing lost and found and um yes we will we will hopefully get into that as well and but first say thank you to johanna you know, thank you for pushing yourself and others so passionately to face the truth. I feel like that is what you are about. And you know, you've taken your life as a biracial adopted Jewish child growing up in the seventies. And with that, somehow you've forever changed lives for the better. And it's just a remarkable journey. I just thank you so much for all that you've done. My
4: pleasure. Thank
0: really, you. Thank you, thank so you for much. having us. Absolutely. And then Natalie, uh Another passionate, strong, smart, caring woman that's jumped on this project for the last four weeks with me in, in this, this new venture that we're on with, uh, without fear. I'm Jim, and I am the, the host here, and I'm just going to push some buttons and kind of carry the conversation along.
2: And I, I think uh, you can send us pictures
0: of both of you. We can do that. This is a radio show, so you can't really see us right now, but um, but, but we can take care of that.
5: Funny that you should say that, though, um, because Jim and I have just recently reconnected, having worked together almost, let's say, 10 years ago. And uh, we speak every day, um, and we have been for the last four weeks or so but uh, I don't have a visual of what he looks like anymore because it's been so long. So we've literally just been connecting this way. So um, it's interesting that you bring that
0: up. <laughs> I like to know who I'm talking to. Okay, well, we will take care of that, Renee. I, I have had the good fortune of seeing your picture and your videos online, your your tireless work and what you do. It's just, it's a, it's remarkable um, what you're doing and that's why we're here, right? So. Obviously, we're going through a, a time in life for a lot of people, this pandemic is a real crisis for them. And for others, it's not so much, but for many, it is. And and the, the point of this show and, and having you, Renee and Clara and Johanna and Natalie on this call is for us to share a little bit about previous crisis and, and things that that you've gone through in life where you maybe you didn't think you were going to make it. Or maybe it was a time when you gave up all hope, but as you said in the beginning, Renee, you can't believe it either. You're still here, okay. right? And so, how how can we take those those stories and those lessons and that wisdom of your past and and use it to to hopefully shine a light uh, for people in this day and age on how they can cope with crisis and and move on from that? so, if I may, I would I would love to start, Renee, if if you would be so kind as to to share a a memory or two? Two days
2: after my 20th birthday, we were taken out of our home. So you can imagine a 20 year old waiting for her birthday. And uh, we had no idea where they are taking us. We had no idea what this means uh, I was born in Czechoslovakia, which was the best democracy in Europe, and then Hitler gave our region to Hungary, so by the time we were taken to camp, we were Hungarians, and they didn't tell us where they taking us, they didn't tell us why. Uh, the Hungarians only told us that um, Hitler is at war, and... Uh, He needs help so that we are going to Germany to work. And that's what we thought we are doing. Three days in a cattle car and no food. It was, there was nothing. I mean, the cattle car was empty. The people were packed in there, packed in there. And traveling for three days and three nights, just imagine, you you can't even imagine. And they didn't give us any food or any water. It's indescribable. And uh, is this a punishment, or are we so important that they take us? We have no idea what and where we are going. We arrived three days later at a huge uh, open space. And uh, in German, of course, the Nazis were yelling, her house, her out. So you can imagine not knowing where we are, not knowing why we are there, and only hearing only German. We had no idea where we are or why. uh, Who who was with you
4: from your family in the cattle car, if anybody? My parents and my
2: 16-year-old sister, Clara. My brother, Frank, was already before us. He was in a Hungarian forced labor camp. So we really didn't know where he was and what he was doing. Uh, Also, the Hungarians claimed that they need help. Anyway, we emptied the cattle cars and all of a sudden we see Nazi soldiers coming around and separating the people, all the old men and all the old women separately. And then the younger generation, both men and women separated and the children were separated. Now, we had no idea where we are, why we are there, what's going to happen. Unfortunately, the the fact is that my mother was immediately gassed, which, which we found out only after <laughs> the Holocaust. And my little sister stayed with me for a little while, because then a few days later, they separated her because she was much younger, and uh, she was taken into a clinic where they were doing experiments on children and after they did the, the experiments, they killed her. so she died about two weeks after we came to. Auschwitz. She was with me first, she was uh, separated with me, and then every day there were selections, every day when we lined up for roll call, which we did twice a day. Uh, Mengele came and, and picked out some of the people, and about two weeks after we arrived there, he pointed to my sister, who was taken to this clinic where they were doing some kind of a a medical experiment on her, and then they killed her. And Mangara came. Of course, we didn't know at that time who Mangara is. We just knew that it's a Nazi officer. And he came over to me, and everybody was looking, why is he coming to me, and he asked me, Why are you here? And, you know, I was surprised. I didn't know why I was there. I, I presume that he knows why I'm there. And I said, I'm a Jew. He turned to me and waved his hand like this and walked away. So I don't know why he came over to me. Everybody, you know, in the line were watching. They didn't know what it was and why he asked me that question.
4: You know, you were
2: blonde haired, blue eyed,
4: fair skinned. Uh, Clara was darker in her features. He
2: walked away and uh, murmured to himself, that is impossible that I said that because I'm a Jew. Yeah. We had still, we did not know where we are and why, but we were allowed to enter a bunk, a, a barrack, and the barrack was a long wooden barrack, and on both sides uh, were bunks. And I I climbed up on the third, the, these bunks were three-story high, and I climbed up on the top story because I didn't want anybody to sleep over me. And I pulled my little sister up. We were still together. That was right the first day. And... Uh, it was already evening. We arrived early in the morning to Auschwitz and uh, and this was already evening and that's all that happened that day. Uh, we were separated, my sister and I, from my parents. We still had no idea what's gonna happen to them. It was later that I found out that my mother was immediately killed. And my father, uh, I had no idea what happened to my father until a few days later, a group of men marched into our camp. And um, of course, we kept asking, why are they coming? And uh, they told us that they are fixing the bunks. So that's, I, as they marched through, I saw my father, so I knew that he was alive, and I realized that he was still in a working group. Was was your head shaved at this point? So yes, after we arrived, we we got undressed, <laughs> our clothes was taken from us, and we got some junk that they discarded, and uh, and yes, they shaved our heads and our bodies. Wasn't there a moment
4: uh, you and your father, you, you met eyes, right? You saw one
2: another? That was when, when he marched in with these workers, and uh, I saw him. Yes, we, we did connect with our eyes. And I don't know how he how he felt uh, seeing me, the way I looked at the time, with the shaved head and, and this rag they gave me to put on. But you weren't allowed to speak to one another.
0: No. No, no, unfortunately, no. I'm just I'm so moved. I'm wondering what was going on in your mind? I mean, you've, you've, you've been describing the, the physical story. Can you share a little bit about a 20-year-old young lady and what was going on in, in your mind and your emotions through all of this?
2: Well, I must tell you that there were no emotions yet because I had no idea. Uh, I was in, in shock. I didn't know why was I brought here. Why did they do all this to me, shave my head? I mean, you, you can't even imagine how we looked after we got into finally into the bunk. And um, frightened not knowing why we are here what's going to happen to us where are our parents uh, it was just devastating jim yeah can can
3: i sort of fill in for her a little bit from what she's told me over the years
0: please clara I would, we would we would love to hear from you yes
3: i would like the listeners to really understand what what was going on at the time
0: please
3: to begin with they were told the whole time before they left their homes that germany needed a workforce because all the men were in in the army I said so. so so people thought all the time that they were going to germany to work to replace that workforce when they got on the cattle cars they were confused, first of all, why they're traveling on a, on a cattle car instead of a, a passenger train. They figured that they must have used all the, all the passenger cars to transport the military. So, of course, there's nothing left but the cattle cars to ride in. And it, it was three days and three nights of pure hell because it was only an eight-hour ride from where her home was to Germany. So they're riding night after night, not understanding why they're still riding. No food, no water. And the bathroom was a bucket on some straw in the corner of the cattle car. And it's standing room only. So they put the old people around on the floor on on their coats and handed the infants to hold them for the, the younger mothers. And everybody else stood for three days and three nights on this ride. And every night when they stopped, they were banging on the cattle cars and yelling to throw out any valuables that they still had with them. And if not, they would be shot and then they could hear shooting outside the car. So you can imagine the terror of this ride.
0: No, you you cannot imagine. You
3: can't imagine it. No,
0: I can't, I can't. No, you You cannot imagine. These
3: are circumstances that don't Mm -hmm. match anything that we vaguely know of. Now, they arrive in Auschwitz, and they're emptied into what looks like a military fort, fort, which, again, doesn't match what they were told. They were going to factories to work in Germany, and it didn't look like Germany. Well, of course it didn't. They were in Poland. And they didn't find that out until a little bit later either. All you could see were the chimneys of, of the crematoria, billowing smoke, the acrid smell of burning flesh in well, the air. We had no idea. So you can imagine, had all no there was was fear and confusion.
2: We, the, the fire, when we talked amongst ourselves, guessing what, what, what is all that fire, everybody said, well, maybe those are the machines. Where are Ovens from the bakery,
3: yeah. they, they had they, no clue, they had no
2: reference. We had absolutely no idea. Well, how could we? That, the the fact is, never in human life was ever anything like this happening.
0: No, uh, and, and Renee, how long were you there? Uh, I went in April
2: 1944. When were you transferred to um uh, around September? no, it was later. later
3: no, you went on a death
2: march you... yes, it was in January that we that I was taken from auschwitz on a death march in the winter, snowing, no clothes, no shoes. you can imagine we were taken on uh, partially on the march and partially on in an open wagon. And we had no idea where we are going. By now we knew that in Auschwitz they are killing the people. So first we thought that maybe they are taking us to a gas chamber. But when it became one day and two days and three days and we were still marching, uh, we realized that something else is happening they took us to Germany to a town called Libau where there was a factory producing snow chains for German tanks. And uh, they t- took us to this factory and they had a camp. They had a camp for us and we became we became workers for Germany. So, finally, we realized that maybe we are going to survive, and uh, it did happen.
0: If I understand correctly, for three days, you thought you were on a death march. That's right. And, And when you arrived, you found out you were going to work for the Germans, and that was probably the best news you've ever heard. Of
2: course. That was wonderful news. And they had barracks for us already, and they had food for us, which we didn't have for (laughs) months and months. Do you know how many you lost? We didn't.
3: You didn't lose anybody along the way? No, we
2: didn't lose anyone on this. How lucky.
3: Yes. It was called a death march because people literally died along the way, and if, if you fell, they just shot you where
2: you were. But we we know we didn't lose anybody on this march, and we arrived to Libau, and uh, we had nice barracks with bunks and a blanket, which was wonderful. And we started to work in this factory. I still was worried that the end is gonna be death, because we heard about. Uh, people taking uh, to some uh, digging ditches or something, and then they were all shot. So I, I was not hopeful that I'm gonna survive. Uh, I just thought that you know they need us need us now, and uh, when it's over, it's over. We're gonna be shot. Grammy, was there any point at which you said? I mean,
4: you are a young woman, and, and with that comes sometimes a youthful bravado, sometimes a defiance, sometimes a, perhaps a greater will to live.
2: No, I had no hope that I'm going to survive. I just didn't know when it's going to happen and what am I going to do until it happens. I was sure that the end is death.
3: Boo. The whole time that the prisoners were in the camp, they were constantly told on a moment-by-moment basis, you have no way to escape, don't think you're getting out of here, you won't make it out of here. They were brainwashed, being convinced that they were not leaving, except through the chimneys.
2: And the war was going on. It didn't look like it's gonna end. But while we were working in this factory, The foreman realized that I am somebody, and I was good in geometry and and these little pieces of chains we had to put together into a pattern. I caught caught on right away, and the foreman noticed this, the German foreman, and so he made me like a forelady to that table and uh, occasionally he would bring me some food. So my life was getting pretty okay. I, I had a hope that uh, the world will end when we are here
4: and and
2: I'm gonna be liberated. I was hoping that. And at this point, you did not know anything
4: about your immediate family members still? Nothing.
2: I only knew that my brother was in this forced labor Hungarian forced labor camp, but I knew nothing. And I knew that my father uh, was not killed immediately, because I saw him. I, my mother, my sister, I knew nothing.
0: So, so if if we fast forward just a little bit, I'm I'm curious about that that skill that you had with geometry. And, and your ability to see the patterns that elevated you a little bit. Did did that translate into you getting into fashion? and?
2: Well, let me tell you what happened because one day I had a cold and I didn't want to go into the factory. So I went into the kitchen because the kitchen head was a girl from my hometown. And so I, I asked her, would she mind if I stayed in the kitchen that day? I'm sick. And uh, she knew that I was studying uh, fashion. So she says to me, sure, you can stay. I'll give you some paper and pencil, and I want you to sit here and draw us some, some clothes that we're going to be wearing when we get out of, you know, it was, I'm sure, a wish of all of us to hope that someday we're going to wear a re- regular clothes. The girls who were peeling potatoes and doing the other work used to run away for a minute to my table and look and run back to the potatoes. All of a sudden, the door opens and uh, we had a commando shooter in, a little short, maybe four feet tall, Nazi woman. The door opens and here comes Commando Führerin. And of course, everybody jumps up, Achtung, the kitchen, yells, And uh, we all jump up and as I jump up, all these papers from my table were flying all over the kitchen. So here I was, I was sure that that that's the end of me. Uh, She bent down and picked up one of these papers and yelled, who did this? And I knew that's it. That's, I'm done, I'm finished. And, but I'm not gonna let, you know, my friends take blame for me. So I stood up and I said that I did. She uh, says to me, pick them all up and follow me. So I picked up all the paper and I was following her. And the camp, and the factory was on the edge of a huge forest. And so she walks out. And I'm supposed to follow her, which of course I did, and she's walking into the forest. Well, I knew what can what what else can happen that she takes me in there and she's going to shoot me and that, that's the end. But we were walking for quite a while, and nothing happened, and all of a sudden we come to a clearing. And there is a, an apartment building, and that's where all the Nazis were living. We didn't know that. So she takes me up into her apartment and opens a closet door, and in this closet is a sewing machine, a well, wow. dress, dressmaker's dummy and a lot of material they were stealing from all over the world, I'm sure. And uh, she takes one of the papers and she says, can you make this? Well, am I gonna say no? I never made a dress, I only knew how to sketch it. And I said, oh, yeah, well, yes, I can. So she says, well, from now on every day every morning. You don't go to the factory, you come here and you sew. And I said, okay, all And she takes me back to the camp. And, well, miracles do happen. Because for three days, I was going into her apartment and I didn't know how to make a dress, so I was cutting up some material, pin it on this dummy, that it should look like I'm doing something. And uh, three days later, a Russian officer rides into the camp on a horseback and says, you free." free. Oh. Miracle? Yes, it was a miracle. If it lasted one more day, I probably would have been gone. The Russian officer was very nice and immediately brought us food and uh, tried to arrange for us to get out of there. And uh, now I was wondering where should I go? My region, my country of Czechoslovakia was first, occupied by the Hungarians, and now it was occupied by the Russians. So I said, well, the Russians are safe now, so I'm going to go home. But then I realized that actually the transport that we came to Auschwitz on was started in Budapest, in Hungary. So I said, "No, I don't go home. I'm going to go to Budapest and and see whether I can find somebody." Well, when we arrived at the railroad station, there were already survivors waiting for other survivors, telling them what where they can have a little food or where they will be able to maybe stay overnight one of these prisoners was telling me that there is a school there where the survivors come and uh, sign in. And so if somebody is looking for somebody, you can go into that school and uh, see if you can find anybody that you know. So I went into the school, and the the walls were covered with paper. And that paper on the wall had thousands of signatures by now. And uh, I was looking all day long, didn't find anything, didn't find anybody I knew. And I started to cry. And we didn't know yet what we are going to have for dinner or where we are going to sleep. So I said, let's let's go out and let's see what we can arrange. It was a swinging double door. And I pushed on the door to get out. And the door didn't give. Somebody was pushing from the outside. So I stepped back, of course. And the door opened. And my brother was standing there. Miracle. Wow. My brother who escaped from the forced labor camp, escaped to Slovakia, and became a partisan. And so he was an an, an awarded partisan, and free already, of course. Partisans were uh, the fighters in Slovakia. They were not in the military, but in the forests and in the mountains. They were fighting the Germans, freedom
0: fighters. Wow. When, when 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 did you or did you have you ever felt safe again?
2: It was quite a while because we knew that uh, Prague was occupied by Germans during the war, and we knew that our town belongs to Russia now. And uh, where did we belong? <laughs> We had no idea. One day we we met a man who knew us, the kids from Ushorod, from my hometown, and stabbed us, and he said, Do you know that your father is alive? And we said, we, we didn't believe him, but, you know, how do you know? Well, he says, I was in the same hospital in Prague, and I know that he was there. My brother and I immediately started to go to Prague. It took a little while because there was no transportation. So we hitchhiked and we took a little bit over the train and uh, to the Czech uh, hospital where my father was. And my father was very... ill. and uh, he died a few weeks later. But we found him, and he still realized that his children, two children survived. He was sort of happy about that, but he couldn't make it. And so we were now a few kilometers from Prague, so my brother said, that's where staying. Our city was occupied now by the Russians, so we just will stay in Prague. And because my brother was a partisan, the Czech government gave him a German apartment. So we had in Prague a beautiful German apartment where we used to let survivors who we met on the street in our apartment. Grammy, can I interject something? Sure something you
4: told me, something that, that Grampy told me, that you did not lose your faith in God, because I know that growing up, you were traditional, but you weren't religious, you weren't so observant, Mm -hmm. and I know that there were people before the Holocaust who were observant, who afterwards said, well, forget God, you know, forget my faith, forget my observancy, If this could happen, if God could let it happen, then I don't want any part of it. And I asked you, did you lose your faith? I understand hopelessness. But afterwards, when you were liberated, I remember you telling me, I didn't lose my faith in God. My faith in God was even stronger. I, I
2: didn't blame God. I blame people. God gave us free will. And I still believe that God gave the people free will. And if you use that will to kill other people, then it's not God's problem, it's it's yours. And I blamed people. I blamed the German people that they didn't stop Hitler. And then the rest of Europe didn't stop Hitler. So why should I blame God? These people had the right to stop him. He was only one person. Now, if, if all Germany would have uh, believed that uh, this is wrong, they would have stopped him, but they didn't because they were just as wrong as he was. So for wow. people
4: who are going through difficult times, obviously not comparable to the Holocaust, but any comparable time. What would you tell them when they're looking in the face of something that seems like there is blame? Do you know like I'll take the corona virus for example. You know, people are blaming the the, the Chinese government. Yes. What, so let me just mention what Grampy said. Grampy was walking through the garden of German citizens after he had been liberated. And the person with whom he was walking started kicking the flowers and, and, and smashing the garden. And Grampy said, stop. And the guy said, why should I stop? Look what they've done to us. I don't give a, a, a shit about their garden. They killed my family. They almost killed me. Why should I care? And Grampy said, because I told him, if you do that,
2: and you're just like them. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that you're saying that, asking that, because what is happening right now? Who do you blame? Who do you blame for what is happening right now?
0: Is that rhetorical or is that a real question?
2: It's a question.
0: I think what's happening is some people are blaming, as Johanna said, the Chinese, we have other shared friends that really believe it's humans' fault because we are living out of balance with nature.
2: Why should I blame God?
0: That's a great point.
2: Because we we,
3: you know, when we don't have control over something, then we have a need as as in human nature to to assign that that blame if you will or responsibility to something or someone in order to understand make sense out of our our circumstance but but also to to control our surroundings and our circumstance if we if we know how we got there and why we got there then maybe we can control some of the bad you know aspects of what's happening around us yeah, Bobo, you know,
4: I, I, I always go back to uh, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who, who was the survivor who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and, and one very simple but very poignant and powerful thing that he said is, you may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can always change your attitude. The problem is, Boo, that that they don't, they don't give you the roadmap for that with it. No roadmap, but but what Grammy and Grampy? I've, I've never heard them say, "Well, we we shouldn't buy German products, or we shouldn't have German friends, or we shouldn't do this." And, and Grammy is
3: famous for saying this: that we do not lay collective blame because not every German participated in in the horrors of the Holocaust. Yeah, that's really important. I'm glad that you said that. But
2: we should did understand.
3: Exactly. The fact that we should never lay collective blame is a very important lesson for people to learn. But I want to get back just for a moment because I think that this is this is really really an important thing and as a therapist this was always very difficult for me to impart to my to my clients. What actions, even if they are the tiniest, most insignificant little action what could we do in a situation that would make us feel like we have some control over what's going on what little move what little shift in in position could we do yeah and it's those tiny shifts that actually bring the huge movement and that change in the attitude it follows the the action.
4: Uh, in Judaism, they say that the that it is the action that beget the intention. So even if you're not right, so men are are obligated to pray three times a day. Well, what if you're not in the mood to pray? The action, the taking of the action, will bring the intention that you need.
2: May I say something? How do we explain that there were Jews in the camp who co- collaborated with, with the Germans? How do we explain that?
0: How do you explain it? I, I,
2: I explain it just the same way, that only people do what who they are. People are responsible for what they do.
5: What Renee may be saying, what I'm interpreting from what she's saying is that when you had Jews collaborating with the Germans in the camps, yes. each person is responsible for their own actions and their own free will. Of course, that's and true. So, and that helps in a way to limit this idea of collective blame, which I, what I'm learning from this discussion is finding a way not to, have or feel collective blame or cast collective blame helps to limit the scale of your personal suffering.
2: Well, you know, I'm sure that there were many Germans who didn't, did, didn't approve what was going on. But we
3: are talking about blame on, on a Jew who collaborated. And it's so easy to say, how horrible was that to do? when everybody is suffering around you, a situation that dire, and, and dire, it doesn't even come close to what what word I would like to find to to how extreme the circumstances were. When you're in that extreme circumstance, and you do what it takes to survive, and those who collaborated, I'm sure were thinking only of their own survival. Was that totally selfish? Of course. Would I have done it? I have no idea. And none of us knows what we would do until we're in that situation.
0: To to think about someone listening that maybe is a 20-year-old today, Mm -hmm. right? So imagine a 20-year-old today versus that 20-year-old getting into a cattle car. Uh, the the, the crises are much different, um, but there's still the blame and the shame and the pain of a crisis that, that we're all kind of saying, I think, that we need to you need to get over that and you need to move on. And the way to do that is through action.
2: Just to look at themselves and ask the question, who am I? Uh, now I, I heard that, the, you know, this one was was like this and that one was like that. So who am I? Which one am I? The one that would cooperate or the one that uh, would object? And then I even tried to die for it. I said who? Who are you? Who? I didn't know who I am until until I uh, had a situation where I had to ask myself.
0: And and what's your answer to that? Can you share that?
2: Well, <laughs> who are you? My answer was that it didn't matter at that time who I am. I was in a situation that I couldn't get out of. Now I I believe in humanity, and wherever I can help or, or need advice, here I am. I don't think that you can teach everyone how to behave or who who they should be. Not one person can do that. But I try. I I try to tell people how I feel about it and and how I feel they should feel about it. And that's all I can do, to tell them who I am and what I believe in.
0: Is it? Is there anything that you have yet to accomplish? Is there something that you still want to do? And I and I ask that out of the the, the theme of the walk the talk show, and that you know we are committed to not only talking about things, but we want to help do something and, and help people move their dreams or passions or goals forward. Is there anything that you have yet to do?
2: Well. When I started to speak about it, I wanted to accomplish that, that people change and people start understanding who they are and and why they are here. And that's my goal. I did as much as I could, but I still wish that people would
0: change. She would still like her book published.
2: Oh, my God.
4: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: I'm going to transition this into another thought because I would love to get uh, everyone's feedback, but in particular, Renee. And, and this is more going into the future. And and Natalie is, is here as our future guest, especially when it comes to not only technology, but connecting people through technology into the future. I think is really her sweet spot. And one of the the visions that we have that Natalie's gonna share in a moment is, is around connecting uh, older people with younger people and the power of that. And so I'm gonna share this clip from Sierra, another member of our community. And then from there, we're just gonna let uh, Natalie take it.
6: I started working with the elderly at 16, back in 1996. I went to a nursing home Wanting a job, but no one in my family suggested it. Uh, Nobody said, I, I just drove by it every day. And there's something, I think I was curious about, why? Why are all of the old people inside of that box? Within just a few hours, I had developed some of the most foundational friendships. I actively listened to life stories And I learned so much just by being present. And I'd say that's the greatest gift that being with the elderly brings to you, the one who shows up to sit with them, to be with them, to read some poetry. And that gift is that you are enough. That's the power. To do that when we're younger and that feeling of enough is instilled in us, it can lead to a lot of magic. Otherwise in high school friendships were they were what they were they were primarily based on comparison and driven by hormones and fighting over boys or just all the things and coming to the nursing home was a respite for me a place where i felt enough and i had people who were asking me questions wanting to know how i'm doing what i needed But, you know, the more I I created these friendships and the more I got to know the elderly, they felt very safe and comfortable to talk with me about their fears. That was very eye-opening to me, listening to stories mostly of women. Women were sharing old abuse and how that impacted who they'd become, but primarily how it impacted their health throughout their life, whether it was mental abuse, physical abuse in relationships, or sexual abuse from childhood. They would tell me stories. And when I say they, there were 70 women, 100 residents total. Every single one, every woman had a story about being harassed or abused. It was coming up because they were facing their death. And our regrets, our fears, these things come up when we face death. And if you've been housed in one body and you're 80, 90 years old, and you've thought about these things and you've held on to them for that long, that many decades, wow, for many of them, it was the first time and only time they had shared deep, dark secrets. They brought their own truth to light.
5: Um, So, that's um, an excerpt from a conversation um, that we had with Sierra earlier, and I felt it to be so powerful and visceral at the time, and Renee, just hearing your story, it's almost taken on new meaning and deeper meaning, and it's almost as though, in listening to you, I was transported into Sierra's shoes, and felt like I was so present and so actively listening and, you know, forgetting everything else about myself that doesn't matter in this moment. I also feel that, I don't know, something I was interpreting from what you were saying earlier that really stories have the power to change people. And that is sort of the gift that you have been giving since what is it, 19, for the last 43 years. And I felt that gift in this time that we have been on this show together. As a young person, relatively young person, listening to an elder and um, tell their story, it's very interesting that you say that your purpose in telling these stories is to kind of put a mirror up to the listener, you know, and ask who you truly are. And I, I, I definitely felt that. I would love to hear what you thought of what Sierra had to say. Well, I, I tell you,
2: and now um, at my age, I am wondering who is going to tell them the stories that we had, the experiences that we had. The Holocaust survivors are gone. Mm-hmm. Is it possible for someone who heard my story to repeat it or give it the same way I would?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it's it, my story is not only words, my story is also feelings. Mm-hmm and And that's what I would like to in uh, I would like the children who I talk to understand that, and I try to tell them that uh, each individual, each person, has to question themselves they have to ask themselves. Who am I? What do I want the world to be like? What can I do for it? Uh, some people think that they are not worthy of anything. I know people who, if you, if you ask them, what did you do in your
5: lifetime? And then they would say, not much. What if we could find a way to immortalize your story in a way that young people can not just hear the words, but as you say, feel feel the emotion. I talk
2: about that. I, I talk about it and, you know, I was very fortunate. I was very lucky because there are quite a few films also that I made uh, while, I, while I'm here. And... Uh, do I believe that the world will be perfect someday? I don't I don't believe it, and that's why it has to be repeated and the the next future has to hear it from the people who I talk to mm-hmm. and and tell the story over and over. And th- that's it. I mean, I I don't. There will always be people who will believe it and who will think it's bad to do certain things. And there will always be people that will say, no, more I'm important, and you know, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't believe that you can actually teach a whole group of people. I'm sure that in the in a class that I speak, if you will ask the question the children, each one will remember something else. Mhm.
5: Yeah, because all you can do is hold up a mirror and. And that's what I usually do in the class.
2: Mm-hmm. After I after I uh, speak, I ask them what did they hear, mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised how different the answers are.
5: Absolutely. So we've, we've been experimenting uh, with different ways to capture wisdom so yeah. that it can appear in people's lives on a more frequent basis and in a way that is digestible and receivable and, you know, can, I guess will always take on new meaning depending on the context in which it's received. But uh, we've created something called the Wisdom Wiki, and it's in its infancy. Uh, But the idea is we're inviting people to just record 30 seconds, some words of wisdom that could help other people. And originally we were thinking, well, many young people, for them, this is the first crisis. This pandemic is, is the first crisis they're facing.
2: When I speak to children, you know, I can, almost see in the class who is hearing what I'm saying and who doesn't.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And and uh, it's impossible in a class to speak only to those who understand that there are some children who take it completely in and understand and and already thinking about how they can help or how they can do something good And there are kids who don't care Mm -hmm. and fall asleep while I'm speaking. Who is going to be good? Who is going to be bad? We don't know. We don't know. And we only have to do what we believe. And I believe that people have to know what happened. And then they can decide, do we want it happened again or don't? But I have to tell them what happened and how I felt about it.
0: Young people in general, right, they they consume small bits that are 10 seconds long to 90 seconds long to 2 minutes long on Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat and all those kinds of things.
4: My mother, when she was working at a, she was a head administrator of a private school in Santa Monica. And this is years ago in the 70s where she developed a program called Adopt a Grandparent. Um, And it was mandated in in the school that each student would go into nursing homes and I forgot the amount of time that or the the frequency with which someone would do that, but My mother like Natalie like you like all of us saw that there was this um, this disconnect that um, this is a marginalized group of people I'm a nurse, it's the population that I've worked in the most, and I can tell you that in my nursing, as much as they appreciate the actual care of the things that I do, if it's a tube feeding, giving you your medication, giving you an injection, nobody cares half as much about that or is as appreciative as they are when you sit and say, oh, was that your husband? Tell me about him the way their faces light up and the, the 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 feeling that I have not been forgotten, my stories are still viable and you care, mm-hmm. that trifecta.
0: The message of Renee and put it into the hands of a young person in a way that they want to hold the message and vice versa. How do the young people have a voice? How do they contribute their world to the elderly? I mean, how do we not create an exchange between those two?
3: I think it's a wonderful program, mostly because there is a lot of, as you said, a lot of wisdom on both sides to be heard and gained. It would be great if this was a mandatory program, like Johanna was talking about, where where the schools could Fit it into, I don't know, their English studies or language pro- arts programs. We need desperately to be heard and we need just as desperately to be seen. Mm-hmm. And this, when you sit and bear witness to someone else's life and story,
5: that's what you give them and that's what you get. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, you know what you're saying about kind of having your elders or having the elderly be this kind of official source for your education, for your assignments at school and to integrate the wisdom of the old of older generations into your thinking and into your studies and your analysis of of whatever it is that you're doing. I love that idea
3: no so in a in a culture like America, which is very different from European and certainly Asian culture where where the generations all live together,
5: we need it even more so here. Yeah, we were hearing from Sierra earlier about, you know, in Japan there is such a culture of respect for your elders, the fact that there are, you know, it's an aging population in Japan and there are too many elders for the number of carers that are available and how they've enlisted postal workers to check in on elderly people when they're delivering mail and taking a temperature check, registering how they're doing in an app. We felt really inspired by that. What a terrific idea.
2: May I just say one thing? And that is that uh, at certain age, you, you know, you can hear a story at certain age and then hear the same story much later, and you somehow don't connect the two stories. And, and that's what I try to do when I speak. I want them to understand that that happened to me when I was their age, you know? Right. Otherwise right. they oh the old lady told us the story. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not the old lady that tells the story. I am mm-hmm. the a 20-year-old. The 20-year-old that tells the story. Right.
3: And my Absolutely. mother is is one of if not the ultimate storyteller for the Holocaust and why she's made an impact so great on so many I'm I'm going to put myself out there hundreds of thousands of people now. Hundreds of thousands. The military colleges, church groups, synagogue groups. I mean, she's spoken to such a diverse population, you can't even imagine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, so as as we start to wind down the show, is is there anybody that wants to share anything else before we say goodbye?
3: I really would. I've been thinking about this the whole time the show's on. What is the wisdom that we can share right now with these young people who are In such a crisis. And and I do have a few things that I'd like to say to them. Please do. First, the bad news is nothing stays the same. The good news is nothing stays the same. (laughs) Right. So in those immortal four words, this too shall pass. It's a certainty that this will pass. And know also that while we're in the middle of our own personal crisis with it, there are equal crises going on for many other groups of people. Think about the war in Syria. Think about the Rohingya in China, a marginalized group that's being slaughtered. Think about all the other people who are refugees. Think about Africa where there is a serious famine going. There are crises all over. This crisis is going to end. One thing that we've been given here now in this country that and especially in Southern California and New York or places where there's a shutdown. We've been given the gift of time something we almost never have in our busy world. We have time to reflect on ourselves, we are where we are and where we'd like to go, who we are and who we'd like to be as as a human being. We have time to explore our creative senses, what we can do to change or make a little bit better our circumstance in the moment, meaning... I don't know what I'm going to do now. I don't have a job. I don't have an income. Get on that internet you have now. Research your, your options. Research all the resources that are out there, and there are many. And then how can I be of service in the world? What can I do for someone else in the world? Because the best way to get out of yourself is to do for someone else. And you don't have to leave your home to do that. And improve ourselves, expand ourselves, read that book you never had the time for. Watch that film you never had the time for. Talk to someone on the phone who you've been trying to find a moment to call. Connect with the people in your life that you know might be lonely. There is so, so much we can do if we don't focus on the virus itself and focus on what we can give. So beautifully said, Bob. Thank you. It
0: really was. Thank you all so much. Renee, you are a superhero. Clara, you rock into a brave new world. Johanna, thank you for all that you do. Natalie, rock star. We haven't even gotten into Clara's world and Johanna's world. There are so many other layers of, of how these three women have overcome crisis and if you haven't figured it out i didn't announce it at the beginning of the show but this is grandmother uh birth mother daughter so uh, there's a whole big story behind that as well
2: what i wanted to say is that unfortunately some people hear some things but don't listen if we were all listening to the problems and to the complaints, to the happiness. If we would all be listening to it, then uh, we all would find a little bit of it in ourselves.
0: Absolutely, and we just got a little, we just got a little words of wisdom from Renee right there. I'm gonna play an example of one that Natalie did, just to give you an idea of what we're thinking about.
5: Words of wisdom. One of the most remarkable insights I've had in my life is the power of gratitude. One day I found myself feeling so awash with gratitude for all the things in my life, even normally trivial things, like an amazing conversation with my Uber driver. In that moment, I couldn't think of anything that I felt anxious about. I profoundly felt that gratitude was the antidote to anxiety. Gratitude by Natalie M. Wow!
3: What a great piece. You might just go around to different people and ask them, what is something in their life that has made the most
5: impact in their lives and why? It's a really nice way to frame the question to get to get to that nugget, I think. I think that's really nice.
0: Right, it's time to take action. There's a window of the world where we're all fighting the same exact thing. I've never heard of that before on this planet. We all have a common enemy, and that is an opportunity for change. And so we believe this is one of them.
3: And I'll share with you one thing that is my, my hope out of this whole crisis. And that's because of what you said, Jim, about we are all really facing now the same enemy. If anything unites a people, it's a common enemy. Right. Right now, the entire globe is sharing the same enemy. If there would be a way to really impart that fact upon the young people without the divisions that we've had more recently in history. It would make all of this worthwhile, what we're
0: going through. So true. And the simplest divide is young and old because it's not racial, right? There's, it, there's no, it's not socioeconomic even. Like there is um, no reason, there's no reason for the young and old to not put their heads together right now. It just seems so <laughs> basic to me that we need to try it.
4: What if we got together Elderly people that were interested in telling their stories. And so we record them in a way that a younger person could connect to it. 30-second snippet of who they are, a couple little things about them. And then kids, as a school project, could go online, right? They have a 30-second snippet. They listen to, like, as many as they want. And then they do a book report in school on that person,
5: it would actually be amazing, before we bring the generations together, to kind of do this show with just really young people. That's why
2: we're talking to young people. They don't see that I'm 96. They don't see because I talk about my whole life, from very young to very
0: old. It's
3: a really nice so great. I'd like a six-year-old to be president for a
2: day.
0: I think we have some great ideas, and I think we did our first attempt to carry the past into the future. Don't forget the pictures. You don't forget things. I don't know. I don't. I'm would... not. <laughs> Excellent. Take I care. promise I will send you one.
3: Okay. Yeah. Take a selfie and text it to okay. me. Okay.
0: All right. <laughs> take care, ladies. Thank you so much. Bye,
3: everyone, and thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: And a big shout out to Rocky D track walk the talk also the name of the show thank you my brother your music your spirit and that will do it from walk the talk show this is our first episode crisis correction what an amazing first session please join us talentshowradio.com we're just getting started we're here to give and to get around, help.
1: Back at you. Join
0: us. Peace and love.
1: A word you speak is promise you vow to keep As you so, so shall you read Go now, have your little fun For nothing is hidden under the sun Let your year be year What you conceal is the very thing that easily reveal. Let you know be know. Be no, 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 no. You're gonna walk the talk and talk the walk, you are gonna walk the talk and talk the walk, you're gonna walk. Satisfy high society hold on Take a step back How much gold will satisfy a soul For what it is worth Oh mine, oh mine When it's done, done You're just another tool For the statue